0: Well, uh, I think that the people of God, and that's us, isn't it, Uh, they often feel, don't they, like they are just hanging on to their faith by their fingernails, Uh, not by their full hands, their fingernails. I think you and I often walk through the doors of St. Peter's, through that building, through the doors at the back of the building, and we're very weighed down. We're weighed down by our sin, and we're perplexed by our suffering, and we're very weary from life in a fallen world. And I think that means that we often feel the need, the deep, deep need for encouragement. And when it comes to encouragement, uh, I think it's true, isn't it? A little encouragement can go a very long way. Uh, Often all it takes is one little gesture from somebody else, a fellow believer, and you and I, we are sustained, we persevere for a whole week. And the patron saint of encouragers was Barnabas, wasn't it? And he was the son of encouragement. I don't know what the plural of Barnabas is. Is it Barnabases? Or Barnabai? I think I prefer that. But I think whatever it is, we need more of that, don't we? We need more of that kind of spirit that he exemplified. And I think we also need, as well as more Barnabases, we also need more Jethro's. We also need more Jethro's. And the two men are actually a lot more similar than we might think. I think in this chapter, Jethro... He, he's encouraging Moses to, to do what God has called him to do, uh, to, to not do things God hasn't called him to do. And I think in a church family like this, we need people like that, don't we? We need people who are willing to speak words of wisdom. And we especially need that when you and I are beginning to act like fools, and that's what we're going to think about tonight as we look at this chapter in Exodus for one last time. Like last week, uh, this chapter it divides in two. And I think if you look at the middle and verse 13, you'll see that it, it clearly covers two days. Two days. So in verses 1 to 12, we have a happy day. And in verses 13 to 27, we have a decisive day, a happy day. And a decisive day. Let's think first about the happy day. And one of the things I love about the Bible is that it recounts amazing moments uh, of great kind of high points, great acts of deliverance, uh, great dramatic works from God himself. Uh, we've seen that, haven't we, all the way through Exodus. And yet the Bible also includes events like this. Um, ordinary things. Because in the the, the first part of chapter 18, we've got a very ordinary event. We've got something you and I can all relate to. And we've got a family reunion. And all of us here tonight, uh, we all know what it's like to see family, uh, to see them again after a a time apart, maybe a time of separation. And for some of us, times like this are so special, aren't they, because we've got family on the, the other side of the world. And in this chapter, as it begins, we see Moses reunited with his wife, reunited with his children, reunited with his father-in-law. Now, if we press uh, rewind, we would, and went back to kind of chapter 4, that kind of territory in Exodus, we would see the moment that Moses and his immediate family left him, Jethro uh, in Midian, as they returned to Egypt, but as verse 2 makes clear, at some point between chapter 5 and chapter 18, Zipporah and the boys, they, they've returned to be with Jethro. And they've maybe gone back with him because he's old, maybe because uh, they missed him, and maybe because the, uh, they were afraid for their own safety. We don't really know. But now, as Jethro says in verse 6, the whole family is going to be reunited back together again. It's going to be a temporary reunion. You can see that at the very last verse of the chapter. And yet, though this reunion, though it's brief, I think it's really instructive. Let's remember what age Moses is here. Uh, it's easy to think, talk of fathers-in-law and that kind of thing. We can think of him as a kind of young guy. He's most likely uh, over 80 at this point. But look at the respect Look at the respect Moses shows his father-in-law. In In verse 7, he goes out to meet him. And what does he do? He bows before him. He kisses him. Um, I know families can be complicated. I know sometimes that relationships can be strained. And yet the norm in Scripture so often is for relationships like this to be marked by this kind of respect. You and I, we're called to to honor our father and mother. And if we're married, we are to honor the in-laws. And I think husbands in particular, just to kind of apply this a little bit, I think husbands have got a great responsibility here. If we are fortunate to have a godly father-in-law... If we're fortunate to have a good father-in-law too, that's a great gift. And uh, the husband's here tonight, we should remember a few things about our father's-in-law. We should remember that he was there when our wives were born. He was one who prayed for for her, who played with her, who cared for her before we ever saw her. Why does this matter? I think especially in the West today, we we tend to think of ourselves just as individuals, don't we? And yet in Scripture, God works through families. We see this throughout the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament as well. God placed Jesus in a human family. And what did Peter say at Pentecost? He said, God's promise was for you and your children, to all who were far off. This means family ties are important. Family gatherings matter. So this was a happy day. It was happy because a family were together again. And yet, that's not all, is it? As well as a reunion, there was a there was a retelling. Jethro was happy. Jethro was glad because of not just because of who he saw, but also because of what he heard. Look at verse eight. We hear Moses retelling all that has happened since the two men last met. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. In verse eight, we're hearing Moses retelling all that's happened since they've met. And in a sense, we could describe it as, we could call it, his testimony. So Moses, he he tells his father-in-law of of the way God had defeated Pharaoh and the Egyptians. He tells him of all the the difficulties they had experienced since they left the land of slavery. He tells him of how faithful God had been. I think just as an aside, he's he's a great example to us here. There can sometimes be a danger, can't there? We're giving our testimony. we, We kind of make the story all about us. But like faithful testimonies, Moses, he keeps the spotlight on God. He also refuses, doesn't he, to edit out the difficulties. Sometimes we can be tempted to do that. He can give the impression that uh, being a believer, coming to faith, is, just makes life very easy. And yet Moses doesn't do that, doesn't he? He says, he speaks of all the hardship that had come upon them in the way. And I think we can often forget the most powerful testimonies, they often come from the person who says, you know, I'm a believer, but I've endured terrible things. Things have happened in my life I wish hadn't happened. And yet, God has been faithful. God has helped me. I think if you and I, if we spoke more like that when we gave our testimonies, I think we'd find an audience. So there's a reunion, there's a, a retelling or a, a recounting. And all of this, it led to rejoicing. We see that in verses 9 to 12. As he hears what God has done, Jethro opens his mouth and he declares God's praise. And uh, as is often pointed out, what he's doing here, what he's doing is the very thing that the Exodus was all about. See, back in chapter 8, God had said to Pharaoh, let my people go that they might worship me in the wilderness. God's people were, were rescued so that they could rejoice, so that they could be glad in Him. And Jethro is doing that here. See, sometimes people question the, the, the commentators' uh, debate. You know, was Jethro a, a real believer? Well, look at the words that come out of his mouth. He recognizes God as a deliverer verse 10. He he acknowledges God's greatness verse 11. But I think those three little words at the beginning of the verse, they're so striking. Now I know. Jethro uses God's covenant name Yahweh. And as well as his words, look at his actions. Yeah, he sacrifices to God verse 12. He's welcomed into table fellowship by Aaron, by, by all the elders. Look at the end of verse 12. They, they eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. In other words, if he's, if he's not a believer, well, I'm not sure Who is? I think if you and I, if we gave our testimony to someone and we saw this kind of response, well, I think we'd be pretty pleased, wouldn't we? So, this was a happy day. This was the kind of day that would easily make it into the family photo album. And yet, it was followed by a very different day. And yet, a day that was equally important. Verses 13 to 27, we see not a happy day, but a decisive day, a decisive day. We all have days like that, don't we? We have days where we realize everything has changed. Now, as we uh, look at uh, this section, this next section, I want to uh, let you in on a secret. I said last week that uh, you don't want to know how laws or sausages are made. You don't want to know how sermons are made. Uh, But here's a little secret. One of the the things that preachers love to do um, at the end of a sermon on the Old Testament, uh, we love to say, by the way, at the very end, by the way, this passage is actually all about Jesus. Uh, I've done that plenty of times. Sometimes we do that in such a way that, that leaves God's people kind of scratching their heads, thinking, is it? Is it really? It can feel like a bit of a bolt-on. So I want to start this section talking about Jesus, and I think that's really important because as we consider verses that are about the work God has called us to do, the work God hasn't called us to do, I think it's so important for you and I tonight to remember. What kind of savior we have? What does he say? What is he like? Matthew 11, he says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. He says, my yoke is easy. He says, my burden is light. And those are truths that God longs for you and I to believe. Those are truths that we very easily forget. And those are truths that will save you and I from thinking that the only way to serve Jesus faithfully is to burn out for him, to shatter ourselves for him. No. See, as we look at these verses, I think we see two things. I think we see folly and wisdom. Folly and wisdom. Moses, he acts in a foolish way. In verse 13, we see him, don't we? He, he's sitting, he's judging the people of God from morning till evening. And I met up with another minister this week for coffee and what people like us do when we get together, we were like, what are you preaching on? What are you preaching on? And he said, Exodus, and I, and I said, oh, I'm preaching on Exodus 18 this, this Sunday. And he said, oh, I preached on Exodus 18 last Sunday. So I'm like, I'll get my notebook. <laughs> and he, but he said something really helpful. He said he thought in verses 1 to 12, Moses, he says so much to Jethro about what God has done for his people, but in these verses, he, he gives the impression that, that everything depends on him. So what he says and what he does are two very different things. And he is a shepherd, but he needs shepherding. See, in verses 15 and 16, Moses, he, he explains his actions. The people come to me. I decide. I make them known. They've got these problems. They've got these disputes. The tone of it is, I'm the only one. I'm the person that can help them. God's people, they want a judge. They want a jury. They want an executioner, if you like. And Moses is willing to do and be all three. And as is so often the case, this was really important work. This was work that needed to be done. And yet God had not called him to do it all on his own. And Jethro saw this. He saw the problem. Look how he starts. Look how he approaches. He, he asks questions. I think that's really helpful sometimes, isn't it? When we're, we're trying to help somebody, rather than just coming in and, and, and giving our advice, we ask a few questions. What is it that you're doing? Why do you sit alone alone? But look at verse 17. Look how direct he is. What you are doing is not good. So plain, isn't it? So direct. He's saying, You're going to wear yourself out. You can't do this on your own. You might think you can, you might think you should but Moses, you're wrong. This is too heavy. This is too much. Some of you um, know uh, uh, a wonderful preacher, Old Testament scholar, Bob File. And I once heard him say something uh, that I think is so true. He said, common sense is remarkably uncommon. That's true, isn't it? I think Jethro would have liked that. He sees the problem... And he says something. Now remember, he's his father-in-law. Maybe father-in-laws have an ability to see things, don't they, in their son-in-laws. Maybe he detected pride. Maybe he saw in Moses a kind of, I only I can do this. But he also saw Moses is in danger of harming himself, but he's also in danger of causing more trouble to God's people. Because if you think about it, if only Moses, could, if he's the only one who can solve these disputes, then everyone's going to have to wait to see him, aren't they? And we know that that's going to cause grumbling. But I think tonight, you and I, we, we need people who can speak to us the way Jethro spoke to Moses. We need people in our lives who can say these seven words to us. What you are doing is not good. Do we have people like that in our lives? If we don't, that is a problem. If we have insulated ourselves from such people, if we are afraid to let others speak the truth to us in love, that is a big problem. And you and I tonight, we need to see the gift it can be to hear those seven words, what you are doing is not good. We need to be open to listening to the person who says, you know, I actually think there is a better way. Now we are are blessed in St. Peter's to have many wise and many older saints. There are people in this church who've seen it all before. They're wearing the T-shirt. And so if you don't have someone in your life who can speak to you like that, come come and talk to me later and I'll pair you up with one of them. Because this is what love will sometimes sound like. This is his father-in-law. What you are doing is not good. Sometimes love, it sounds like a rebuke. We, we need to have the, humi- the humility to accept that. And sometimes we need to have the courage to speak like that. We need to be people who are willing to say difficult things when we see a problem. When there's a problem, sometimes God wants us to say something to help. So I think we see real folly here, but that's not all, is it? We also see real wisdom. Jethro doesn't simply spot the problem. No, Jethro, he offers a solution. Notice as he does, he, he really goes and kind of uh, encourages Moses. Um, he, he underlines the importance of his role. He affirms the fact that Moses had a, had a unique responsibility, a, a calling. He, he's stressing that it was important. He was to represent the people before God. Um, he, was to, he was called to be their teacher. Jethro wanted Moses to know God would be with him in that responsibility. Moses was to warn God's people. He was to teach them. He was to do all that so that they would know how to live, so that they would avoid disputes. And yet Jethro also wanted Moses to get some help. And we see this in verse 21. I and mean, he's to identify men, isn't he? He's to... To get men to help him in the work. I think there's, we can definitely make an application, can't we, um, to kind of elders, deacons, that kind of thing, sharing the load in a church family. But notice the kind of men that they were to be, men of, of character, men of integrity. And why is that important? Well, if they're going to decide disputes, they couldn't be the kind of men who would be willing to accept money, who would turn a blind eye or rule in someone's favor, they were to be godly. And friends, godliness. Godliness is the fundamental qualification for church leaders. The base level. Not giftedness. Not the things you and I often hold in such high regard. Personality godliness. Elders, deacons, ministers, all of us, were are held to a standard, aren't we? We're called to love God's standards. It's interesting, isn't it? The men, they seem to have kind of different levels of responsibility, chiefs of, of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and so on. They would have authority to judge small matters, And that was really important so that Moses could judge the big, make the big decisions. And if Moses followed Jethro's advice, not only would he be able to endure, but God's people would experience peace, shalom. That's the word at the end of verse 23, a wholeness. The kind of, the kind of life God wanted for them, the kind of, they would be the the kind of society God wanted them to be. So Jethro is a great example to us, but I think Moses is too. When his folly is confronted, when a wise solution, a really wise solution is suggested, well, he had the humility to take it on board, didn't he? And I think tonight, you and I, we should ask God for that kind of humility. One of the Things that uh, Christians like us, uh, evangelical Christians, reformed Christians, we're often known for our, our activism. We, 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 we love to do great things for God. We, we love talk in our circles of sacrifice. And God does call us to sacrifice. And yet sometimes that can create a drivenness. A drivenness that Jesus does not want for us. Sometimes the godliest thing you and I can do is to say no. See, maybe there's a ministry, maybe it's in here in St. Peter's, maybe it's somewhere else. And we know we don't have the time to do it. We know the impact it will have on us if we say yes, but we, we feel guilt. We want to justify ourselves, don't we? And we think, oh, I, I can just I can squeeze that in. And instead of abiding in Jesus, instead of enjoying his goodness to us, we make the mistake of thinking he's only going to be satisfied if we are doing all we can all the time, if we are frazzled, if we are two minutes away from burning out. But this chapter, friends, it reminds us that we have limits. It reminds us that we need others. You and I can think everything depends on us, but we're wrong (laughs) Um, Elijah was someone who felt like this in 1 Kings chapter 18 you can look at it later he he sees God acting in a really mighty awesome way but in the next chapter Elijah is exhausted and in his exhaustion he, he reveals what's going on inside of him he says I have been very zealous for the Lord the Israelites have rejected your covenant I am the only one who is left And what he had to learn and what Moses had to learn and what we have to learn is what God is really like. Maybe tonight, friends, you and I, we're, we're driven beyond the call of God. Well, we are called to serve him. But you and I, we've got to remember the kind of God we serve. Not a tyrant. Not a bully. Actually, not someone who needs anything from us. But a shepherd. And a good shepherd. He is the one who leads us beside still waters. He restores our soul. Sometimes he has to make us lie down and rest. But his goodness, his mercy pursue us on happy days, on decisive days, and on all the other days too. Well, let's pause. Let's have a moment's quiet to reflect. And then I'll pray to to lead us in prayer.